So starting this week, I can guarantee you that when I go to the gym, that first of all, it's going to be difficult to find a treadmill to get on. It's, it's going to be, it, it, it's, I'm going to have to wait in line to use strength equipment. I'm going to have to hunt for a locker that will be available. I'll probably end up parking in the overflow lot simply because it's January. It's New Year's resolution time. And so my question is to the gym that I go to, why don't you restrict how many people can come in? Just restrict that. Restrict the amount of members that come in. Then we won't have these problems with overcrowding. But see, what they understand is this. There's a whole bunch of people who in January have decided to their benefit and, and, and it's a good thing that they're going to they're gonna change their way. They're going to be healthy. They're going to they're gonna exercise. They're going to be stronger. They're going to they're live life better. And so they sign up for the gym, but they know that by the end of January, guess what happens? Most of them are gone, but the club has their money, which is a great thing for them. We all deal with these issues of, of wanting to change. A habit is difficult to begin, but it is so easy to break. And so as I'm processing this through, and, and, and so I may have the gym thing down, but i got to tell you, there's parts of my life that I've tried to change, things that I've tried to do, and I've really, really tried, and I'm really disappointed in myself. That word disappointment is an interesting, interesting word, disappoint. It means to undo the appointment. And when you think of it in the broad spectrum of life, and especially of those who are God-conscious that believe that there is a creator and there's a purpose for life. It means simply for us, when we are disappointed or disappointing God, we, we are in the process of undoing life as God has appointed it for us. And so we, we deal with, with this disappointment. God has this, this life for us, and, and it's described by Paul in Ephesians, the second chapter, the 10th verse, where he says this, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's workmanship. It's a really great word, workmanship. It's poieo, and it's a Greek word that means, uh, actually, we get our word poem from it. It's a, it's a work of art. So look at the person next to you. Go ahead, look around you. And understand that God says that person is a work of art. Some of you say, yeah, abstract. <laughs> God is in the process of taking each of us and developing something that is uniquely us, that is artistically how he has designed us to be. That is his plan. I think that's what is behind the words of Soren Kierkegaard, who made this wonderful prayer. He said this, said this, and now, Lord, with your help, I shall become myself. I love that prayer, but I'm not really happy about myself right now. I have this disappointment. There's this part of life that I keep undoing that needs to change. I am disappointed that I still love God so little, and I still sin so much. Growing up in a community of faith, I thought that, and, and I did grow up in a community of faith. My, my, my dad was a pastor, and, and so I, I can remember living in Buffalo, Buffalo, New York. We used to have this thing at the end of the Sunday night service 
because we were in service all the time, when Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and whatever else they were doing, we were there all the time. And so I had this thought that as I was in that process of just showing up, that by osmosis, I would sink in, it would sink in how to be a man of God and be the person I'm supposed to be, and all that would be great. And, and so we try to do everything they try to do. And so my mom would, would sit at the piano and play the piano during what we'd call the altar call. This is the response to, the, to what was preached, and we'd come down to the front, and so often people would be crying and weeping because they had this connection with God, and he's changing their lives. And, and so my, my sister and I would, would sit under the piano as my mom would play because she had to keep an eye on us. In fact, this morning my mom was here. He said, mom, wave. This is my mom. She's visiting. She... She came because she said she didn't believe it ever snowed in Erie, so here we are. And so my sister and I would sit under the piano and we watch people weep and say, well, that must be what Christians do. And so, but we weren't weeping because we weren't sensing what they were sensing. So this is the truth. We would hit each other till we cried. <laughs> and that pattern has not changed. So I thought that I could do this by osmosis. I thought that, that I could just come to a church setting like this and, and do the wonderful worship we just experienced, that I would just, I would just be shaped. I would be, it would just happen. But I'm disappointed. I find people move from church to church because they think they can come here and get soaked in by osmosis, and if it doesn't happen, it must be the wrong church. Sorry, that's not, because you're going to just keep moving around. So I've got this disappointment that comes in. It puts me in what we've described in earlier teachings as the borderland, which, are, which would be the shadows of where I'm being created in this wonderful work of art that God has for me. That instead of being right in the middle of him working with me, I'm on the shadows, and actually what I'm creating there is, is an image that's been distorted. And I wonder why I'm so disappointed. When I get to the spot that I'm fully engaged with God, when I'm really face-to-face with him, I love that expression where God says, you're the apple of my eye, and I've explained this to you before. The actual wording means that, that the pupil in the eye, which means that we're so close to God that we can see our reflection in his eye. That when I'm engaged to God at that place, that I am in the process of being shaped and formed into his work of art. We call that living in the holy wild. The Holy Wild is that place where we begin to sense the immensity of God. This week, I've been dealing with some issues and, 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 and fighting some anxiety. And so I've been reading Scripture, and I was in the Psalms, and I'm reading through the book of Psalms, and, and David is explaining the immensity of God, and, and I just feel like God said to me, see how great I am, how big is your problem compared to me? And I go, boy, that's just not even close. And so when I start to get anxious again, I begin to, want, begin to, to, to look and see the immensity of who he is in this holy wild. So I, I see his, his greatness. I see how uncontrollable he is. I cannot form him. I cannot make him into my image because he is so large. It's in that place that he shapes me. It's in that place that I begin to understand the fear of God because the fear of God is not my fear that he's going to slap me down and send me to hell. My fear is what it would be like without him. That's my fear. It is in this place we are shaped. So this week, I've had a couple of days that I've spent some time with Tony, and Tony is part of our church family. She's dying of cancer. She's battled cancer for 12 years, probably the most courageous woman I've ever seen. 
four different types of cancer she's had to battle. She thinks she's done, and then it comes again. And I don't know why. So I was over at her house talking with her this week, and I said, and when, when your when you're life and death issues, all the fluff goes. Except we did talk about the New York Yankees. And I said, Tony, what are you feeling? And she began this discussion about her life and did she do it right? She said, did I do it right? I said, you don't have any idea, do you? You have no idea the incredible impact your life, your faith has had on your students at school. You have no idea, do you? You have no idea how you've impacted your, your family and your friends. You have no idea, do you? She said, I was okay. I said, sweetie, you are, you are just where you, has, you were supposed to be because she'd been living in the holy wild. Sometimes faith is not seeing your miracle. It's faith believing God when you don't see your miracle. I said, you got any fears? She said, yeah, I've never died before. I said, me too, Tony. I said, but this is my prayer for you. Because of this relationship with Jesus where you've just been together, my prayer is that just as I have walked into your house, sat down and talked with you, that just as easy as that has been, that Jesus will walk right into your room, sit down with you and say, come on, let's go. And there'll be no, no break. It'll just be a seamless thing that has just happened to you. And you will be, you will be exuberant and, and, and excited and will mourn. But you'll be great. Because she's living in the holy wild. And God's been creating this wonderful work of art called Tony. In the holy wild, we are called to live as you as uniquely created, as our uniquely created selves. In the holy wild, God comes to, to you and he says, I know your temperament and, and I know your history and, 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 and I know your gene pool. I know all of that stuff and, and I'm creating you from that. And it's what we call discipleship. To do that means that we have to live increasingly as Jesus would through our unique selves so that, that what we perceive through our eyes is how Jesus would perceive and what we think is how Jesus would think in our unique selves that we would do as Jesus does. And I know that, that we get disappointed. We say, I'm just not doing it right. But I want you to understand that God is determined to overcome our disappointment. The undoing of our life, he is going to make it come back together. He's going to change us. He's going to make us his disciples. The story of the human race is not one of universal disappointment. It is of a, this inextinguishable hope. He says, I'm going to do this by transformation. And Paul the Apostle has this great word to the, the church at Rome. He says this in Romans 12 too, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That was that last phrase. And you'll know his will, which is pleasing and good and perfect, simply means this, that you're going to experience his work of art in you. So I just want to pause right now and tell you that what's happened to you this week what will happen to you next week as you are processing through life as a follower of Jesus is him helping shape you and create a work of art in you so that you understand in your unique self what he has for you. Transformation 
is what happens in the holy wild. It's how we live. The word transformed is a great word. It comes from two words, meta and morpho. And what word do we get from that? Metamorphosis. So we always we connect that to the butterfly and the chrysalis and all of that. Meta means to join to, to be part of. Morpho means to be shaped by the arrangement of the parts, by the adjustment of the parts. So if a follower of Jesus is walking with Jesus and Jesus is transforming that follower of Jesus, it means because you have joined with him, he is shaping you by adjusting the parts of your life that don't look like him. You are in that process. Not only then are we able to do the things that he does, we're able to actually want to do the things that he does. Sometimes my prayer is this, oh God, I don't want to do that. So my prayer is help me want to do what you want me to do. I still got to get to the point where I want to do that. So it's not only doing that, it's wanting to do that. And then as you are being transformed, you begin to understand why you should do that. I go, boy, that makes sense. It's not only doing the right thing, it's becoming the right person. But that doesn't happen by osmosis, and it won't happen by you sitting here for an hour, hour and a half on a Sunday morning. It's just not going to happen that way. It takes strategic effort, real effort. How many of you guys in here have ever given birth? I, I, I was with Pam on all three of our kids' births, and I just tell you, I, I don't have the guts to do that. It's just I can't. It's horrible. And, and she lets me know that I'm not a very courageous man because it's, it's just the, the labor and the intensity. And, and Paul the Apostle, in, in writing to some of the followers, says, I want you to understand this transformation process is more than you just showing up on a Sunday morning, and it's more than you just listening to somebody on television that's preaching. If you're going to be transformed, it's going to take effort. In fact, he, he says this to the church in Galatia. He says, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed, till Christ is morphed in you. Paul says, I'm not even the one being changed. I'm trying to help you change, and I'm feeling the labor pains. you got to know what you're feeling. If you're going to be changed, it's going to take a lot of effort. You're going to have to work at this thing because that's what happens when God begins to adjust the parts. So so I have a friend who took me to a a workout bike, a stationary bike, and he said, here's what we're going to do. You're going to get on the bike. And so we adjusted the bike to my height and, and, and who I am, and and then he said, okay, so you're going to ride at a moderate pace, at a moderate resistance for three minutes. And then for 30 seconds, you're going to sprint at a higher pace, at a higher resistance. It's going to wear you out. And then when you're done with 30 seconds, you're going to go back to three minutes of the moderate pace, moderate resistance, then back to 30 seconds. And you're going to do that five times. I said, sure. Oh. After the second revolution of that. Not five, second, he looked at me. I thought I was looking great. I thought I looked like an athlete. He looked at me and said, that's enough for today. (laughs) It just killed me. I tried. I really tried, but I couldn't. So look, you've been listening to podcasts, or you've listened to somebody speak, or you've been to a conference, and you come out of there and you say, that's it. I'm going to be a better man. 
I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be nicer to people. I'm going to be pure in my relationships. I'm going to get away from pornography. I'm going to be more generous with, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, going to. And you jump on the bike and you ride and suddenly you go, oh, that's enough for today. You tried and you feel disappointed because you didn't make it. Please understand that spiritual transformation is not trying harder but training wisely. So my friend who got me on the bike as a trainer, he said, okay, here you go. These are your training steps to accomplish your goal. Start doing these things. So I'm doing those things, but it's not easy. It burns because I'm retraining my body. If you're going to grow in following Jesus, we have to do the same thing. We have to retrain our spiritual life. That Paul talking to his, his protege Timothy said this in 1 Timothy 4, 7, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. See, I think most of us, especially those who have been raised in the church, most of us think that we're going to change and we don't change because we think that we're going to show up at a service or go to a revival and they're going to put their hands on us and suddenly by osmosis, we're going to be a different person. Wouldn't that be great? I'm a better husband because somebody prayed for me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a better employer, I'm a better employee, I'm a, I'm a better coach, I'm a better whatever because somebody prayed over me. And prayer is important because it does make a difference, but it's not a whole thing. Frederick Van Leerd is the winner of last year's 35th Ironman Triathlon. What a guy. Right there in Kona, he did that whole thing, swimming, biking, running. I would just love to meet Frederick Van Leerd, have him put his hands on my head and just say, be a triathlete. <laughs> and here I'd be. No, I'll have to train, not just try. Following Jesus takes training, and training is learning how to arrange our lives with activities that enable us to live like Jesus lives. To put myself in a place that I can begin some activities that will show me how Jesus lives and begin to do that. People who do that are called disciples. You're a disciple because you have disciplines. There's that word, discipline. A disciplined person is someone who can do the right thing at the right time in the right way with the right attitude. So what is discipline? Now, I want you to hear this clearly. Discipline is this. Any activity I can do by direct effort that will help me do what I cannot do by direct effort. What, it's doing something I can do by direct effort to be able to accomplish something that I cannot do by direct effort. So. I'm training now by doing some other things that will help me be able to do the bike thing that my trainer wants me to do. I'm not just sitting on the bike going, I can't make it, I can't make it, but I got other things that I'm doing. So these other disciplines that I'm doing will help me accomplish that. So, so how many of you will be honest and say, oh, over the holidays, Christmas and, and, and New Year's, I probably overindulged a little bit in eating. How many probably had too many sweets? How many just love Christmas cookies? You like Christmas cookies? Scott, you like Christmas cookies? Dude. 
check that out. So, so let's say that Scotty and I, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're rooming together and, 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 and we both are just, oh, we've just, we've just, we've overdosed on Christmas cookies. And we say, we've got to stop doing this thing. We've got to stop the Christmas cookie thing. So Scotty says to me, yeah, we do. Here, Scotty, have one. Here you go. So Scotty and I are chewing on Christmas cookies saying, we can't eat these anymore. So finally I say, Scotty, how are we going to stop this? And Scotty's a smart guy. He says, willpower. Great. Scotty, have another cookie. (laughs) See, willpower is the strength to stop something that we really want to do. Really want to do it. So I say, okay, Scotty, we got to, we got to stop. Okay, let's take the cookies and we'll put them in a box and shut the box. Will that work? We know how to open the box. <laughs> okay, Scotty, let's, let's, let's tie it up. Will that work? Because we know how to untie the thing. Scotty, let's take it and put it in the back of the pantry and shut the door. Will that work? No. So Scotty, in his eminent wisdom, Scotty, put down your coffee and your cookies, okay? <laughs> this boy comes prepared. So, so Scotty grabs the tray from me, and he goes over to the neighbor's house, go find a neighbor, <laughs> and he gives the cookies to the neighbor. <laughs> All right. Okay, so Scotty comes back. I come into the house and I say, Scotty, oh man, I looked in the pantry and the cookies are gone. Did you eat all the cookies? No. What'd you do? You what? You what? He gave them away. Now I say to him, we got no more cookies. And Scotty says, yes, but now we have willpower. (laughs) See, a discipline allows us to do what we cannot do by willpower alone. So that every time cookies come in the house now, Scotty's discipline says, I take them over and I give them to the neighbor. The neighbor's having fun already handing them out. Look at this. (laughs) Somebody's visiting saying, hey, when they do communion, they give out cookies. This is cool. So disciplines are those things that help us do what willpower can't do by itself. And we need those. So let's talk about spiritual disciplines. A spiritual discipline is in any activity that helps me gain power to live life the way that Jesus taught it and modeled it. Okay? So the discipline helps us have the power to live life the way that Jesus designed it, the way that he modeled it, the way that he taught it. I want to tell you what spiritual disciplines are not. They are not merit badges. They are not, hey, I'm spiritual because I do these disciplines. It's not, what? You don't fast? What do you mean you don't fast? Spiritual people fast. What's wrong with you? It's the same question they asked Jesus and his disciples. They said, Jesus, why aren't your disciples fasting? And Jesus said, because they don't need to right now. It's not the important thing. So the question we've got to ask ourselves if we're going to deal with this transformation is this. What is keeping me from living like Jesus right now? What is it? And we all know. We got those things. We go, I got that thing. I got to stop doing that thing. I've got to do that thing. So then we have to ask ourselves, 
What, what is it that keeps us from living like Jesus right now? Because wise training considers what is needed. It's what's needed now. If you're a triathlete or wanting to be one, and you have already run marathons, but you're a lousy swimmer, you're not going to spend all your time still running. You're going to work on what you need, which is learning how to swim. That's the discipline you need to focus on. So this last summer, Pam and I came to this conclusion that, at least in my own life, I was feeling like I was, I was too tired too often and that the things that God needed me to do, I was just getting too tired to do them. And, and I found myself wanting to take naps in the afternoon and it just, I just was, just was tired. And I just said, God, what am I going to do? And I felt like God said, well, it's really simple. You've got to put some disciplines in your life. And, and I do have, I, I do fast as, as a discipline, but it wasn't go fast, go fast, go fast, and, 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 and give up food, give up food. It wasn't that deal, which I was really relieved. It wasn't that deal because I, I don't like to fast. But what I think God said to me was, there are some disciplines you need. And so Pam and I decided that we were going to change the way we eat. You say, it doesn't sound very spiritual. It's very spiritual because this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we decided we changed the way that we would eat and that, that we, would, we would try to give up certain things that, that would pique me in the afternoons, like sugar and whatever else. And I've got to be honest, I still cheat. I still do. And so we began to change the way we eat. And then I, I said, I've just got to exercise. And so I started exercising more. And, and, and because I don't get enough exercise, you guys that, that work outside, you get the exercise. I'm, I'm in an office or I'm walking to see people, but it's just it's not the same. So I have, I have to do the exercise thing. And then, and then I realized that, that as we began to read some books, we understood that there's this whole thing called REM sleep, and it's the best sleep that you can have. It's the way you nourish your body. And, and for me to discern what God wants in life, I've got to be awake and alert. So we changed our sleeping habit. We, we went to bed earlier. We go to bed earlier now. Unless Pam's doing a puzzle at 1.30 in the morning, that's another story. So, <laughs> so we go to bed earlier. And as I was, we were doing this changeover, I began to awaken earlier in the morning, and I felt like God said, okay, now, your energy's there, you're sharp, I want you to spend more time talking to me and sitting in solitude in my presence when there's no activity around other than just you and me. That's what I need for this season. I don't need to intensify my fasting. I needed to intensify that. So my question for you is, what is it you need now? Let's be wise about this thing. This is not a list of, of things you've got to do because legalistically this is what you do to make God happy. God is happy when you begin to do what he wants in life, which is love your neighbor and love, you, and, and love God with your whole heart. And there are certain things you've got to do to accomplish that. Wise training does this too. It considers the current season you're in. So you go try to tell a mom of, of two preschoolers that she's got to get up in the morning and have an hour of Bible study and prayer. You tell her that. I'm not telling her that. Yeah, but it's what Christians do. My brother and sister-in-law had four children, age three and under. The last two were twins that weren't expected. She would actually go in the bathroom, turn on the shower, and scream. 
You tell her to get up in the morning and have Bible study. So I just want to say to you, especially you moms who have those kids that are at, at those young ages and they're just you, just, you just don't know if you're going to live through this. I want to say to you that maybe your discipline that God's working in you is how to serve those kids without killing them. <laughs> I think that's a great discipline. And maybe, maybe your, your quiet time, your private worship time is when you're holding that one-year-old and she's falling asleep and you're singing worship songs. Because I'll tell you this, that whatever season you're in, God has given you opportunities for growth. Just find them there and do that thing and get the guilt off your shoulders. It all boils down to this. Wise training creates routines by which we stay focused on Jesus. Disciplines are not the goal. They, they are what training is to the game, to the match, to the, to the meet. It's, it's what the training does. I mean, if, if, if you're a coach and you, you go and you're doing a cross-country meet and you go to your, your runners and you say, hey, we're going to meet Friday at Brown's Farm and we got to meet and we're going to be there, and your runners say, no, but we're scheduled for fitness training. We're, we're scheduled to lift weights that day. We can't be there. Well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard because you're training for this thing. What are we training for? Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself, for there is no commandment greater than these. And so the simply is this. In the process of those disciplines, watch it move you to loving God and loving other people. Because if it's not, then there's something wrong. So I was in a, in a uh, one-week fast once, years ago. And started on a Monday, and, and about Thursday, we got a phone call from, from some people that we were trying to establish friendship with, and we knew that they were trying to be followers of Jesus, and, and they were having marriage issues, and they called and said, could we take you to dinner Friday night? And I'm used to the fact that when you fast, you always get these people, that, you always get more temptation that you've got to eat, and, and I'm, I try to find reasons to eat, but God says you can't do that, and so you go through that, and... And so I went to Pam and said, hey, they called, and they've never called before, and this is a perfect opportunity, but I'm fasting, and I just can't go and say, you guys eat, and I'll sit here and stare at you. She said, well, then don't fast. I said, you're not the voice of God. <laughs> so I was in prayer, and God said, she's right, you know. He said, don't you think that maybe your fasting was to help create this moment? Don't be so legalistic. God, if this is you, I love you. This is great. <laughs> See, holy habits, these disciplines, are there to make us aware of what God is doing, not to get in the way of what God is doing. And any time that I have a holy practice, a, a habit that is making me arrogant, self-righteous, contemptuous, judgmental, insensitive, or legalistic, that is not God. That is religion. So as we look at this and we say, okay, well, what do I need to do? I, I want to remind you that sin is, is, can be placed in two categories, sins of omission and sins of commission. Sins of commission are the things I shouldn't do. Shouldn't rob a bank. 
shouldn't hit my neighbor, those things. Then there's sins of omission are the things that I should be doing that I'm not doing, loving my neighbor. I'm not loving them. I should be. In the same way, these disciplines, these holy habits can be put into two categories. The first is the habits of engagement and the second are the habits of abstinence. Habits of engagement are intentionally doing certain things like worshiping and studying and praying and giving. And by contrast, habits of abstinence are intentionally refraining from certain things like fasting and solitude and silence. So if, if I struggle with sins of commission, I do things I shouldn't do, then what I need are disciplines, holy habits of abstinence. So if I'm a gossip, then I need to begin to practice the holy habit of silence. To begin to be quiet and listen to God's voice instead of my own. If I struggle with sins of omission, then I need to strengthen my doing muscles. I need to have engagement habits. If, if, I'm, if I'm selfish, then I need to begin to practice serving. If I'm a grump, if I'm Donnie Downer, if I just whine all the time, then I need to begin to practice the discipline of celebration, of praise, of worship. Oh, God, thank you for who you are because these are the things you have done for me. And I celebrate you. I celebrate what you've done in people's lives. I celebrate. I celebrate what you're doing in this life. You know, the thing that we do every once in a while, and you'll hear Gary yell it out, you'll yell, do it again, Lord. Did I tell you that that, that do it again, Lord, actually means in its original intent was if John came to me and said God did something and I said do it again, Lord, it wasn't so that he can do it for me or anybody else. It was do more for him. Lord, do it for him. More. That's so great. So here we are. And you focused and you've processed and you are going to process, but now you need to activate. So in the next five weeks, we're going to share with you five disciplines, five holy habits, and there's a whole lot more. And at the end of each of these sessions together, we're going to talk about living it out. What do we do with it? And, 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 and some of you need to be here. In fact, all of you need to be here all five weeks. And you say, but it's not my habit to come except maybe once or twice a month. Well, change your habit. Show up because God's going to speak to you. And you're going to say, well, that, that's what I need right there. We're going to explain how to do that. We're also going to encourage you to go online. Uh, we have a Facebook page called Living It Out. I think we have, there it is, eriefirst.org, Live It Out. We're going to have a conversation page there. And, I'm going to, and whoever's preaching that Sunday or whoever's talking, we're going to give you some things to think about and some activities. And we're going to ask people to, to talk about it, what you're doing to make this thing happen in your life and what resources. In fact, you go on it now. I've already listed a question. What resources do you use, have you used to help change you? What books, what podcasts, what, what have you put in? And let's talk about this. Let's have conversation and help shape each other. And then I'm going to ask you on your notes. In fact, pull those out if you haven't yet out of your service folder. Live it out. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Answer some of these questions and do some of these things. Number one, what part of my life do I want to change? Because simply this, we spend our days and how we spend our lives. If you don't like the way you're spending your life or your day, then you're not going to like how you spend your life. So what do you need to change? Number two, 
What does Jesus teach about that part of my life? Look in the scripture. Find somebody say, what does Jesus say about this thing? If you're, if you're new to following Jesus, say, what does he say about that? Number three, what holy habit would train me to think and act like Jesus? But what do I need to do? Okay, now here's the tough one. When will I begin this discipline? You should write down immediately. Number five, who can I recruit to be my coach? Can't do this alone. Get someone to, to not only root you on, but say, have you done this? Yeah, I have. Let me, let me walk you through that thing. And then we're going to ask you to do, just pick one holy habit and begin to practice it from this point to Easter. Just one thing. Just work on this one thing from now to Easter. And see what God does in you and through you. And in this, because in following Jesus, we always end up with those who don't know him, because he did say he came to seek and save the lost. Who can you invite on this journey? Let's add a friend. See, this whole process of, of our disciplines and, and being transformed is not to be by ourselves. It's community, and it's reaching out to people around us that may not be followers of Jesus and say, come walk with me. Come on, let's go do this together. You see those empty seats around you? Those are people you should be asking to join and sit with you. And it's time you do that. You think they're just going to by osmosis say, oh, there's a church building. I should go sit in that building? Not going to happen. And they need to walk with you too because Jesus wants to help shape them. And it's the best gift you can give them. Bottom line is this, that God sees us as a work of art. So let's become what he's designed us to be. Let's, let's quit trying and start training. And, and I have a training prayer. There's this training prayer. It's our training mantra. So will you stand? And I want to say to you, if you're here today and you have never been a follower of Jesus, you don't even really understand how all this happens, will you stop by our information desk in the back? There's some folks there that will be glad to talk to you about this, about how to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, because we want you to know that. And this will be our prayer as we begin through this process of this year, of walking through these disciplines. Now, seriously, I don't know how else, I wish I could just sit down with each of you, look you in the face and go, be here, be here, show up. Yeah, but I, I've got, I, I'm going to go skiing next week. Look, it's going to snow to May. You're fine. <laughs> Show up. Because here's the deal. If you're not excited about Jesus, you're not going to influence anybody else to be excited about Jesus. So I need you to be here. You'd be surprised how many times we've gone through a series and, and talked about what needs to be talked about and really gave great scriptural insights, and help people change. And then about a month later, someone shows up and says, oh, I'm in a crisis, help me. And it's the very thing we talked about, but they never showed up to hear it. So don't do that to us. I'm really getting old. Don't do that. I was talking to somebody this week, and I'm beginning to change my counseling. From now on, when you walk in, I'm just going to say, do the right thing, now get out. <laughs> not really. I'm not going to do that. But, but please, be here so Jesus can talk to you. He wants to transform you. And so this is our prayer together, and this is how we're going to end. It's Soren Kierkegaard's prayer. And would you make it your prayer every day? Maybe just get up in the morning and say this with the idea that you're going to begin this transformative process. And this will be our ending prayer together. Say it with me together. And now, Lord, with your help, I shall become myself. God bless you. Have a great day. There's some cookies over here. Help yourself.